Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Tuesday, November 21st. Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we're serving you a plate of podcasts today. If you're in healthcare, or anywhere near healthcare, you can't take a breath without another big development about artificial intelligence in healthcare, or as everyone calls it, healthcare AI. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's show. We're going to take a breath and take stock in some of the big healthcare AI news over the past few weeks. To tell us what it all means for healthcare and healthcare consumers, are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? Doing great. Gearing up for my favorite holiday and the long weekend that accompanies it. The Pilgrims knew what they were doing. <laughs> they did get it right. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how are you? I am desperately trying to get away from my computer to wind down for the holiday. It's been a little challenging, but we're getting there. Keep working on it. Thanks. There is so much happening in healthcare AI. We're going to skip our usual icebreaker and get right to the topic. I'm going to run down some of the big healthcare AI stories of late, and you're going to tell me which one was the biggest and collectively what they mean for healthcare AI moving forward. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Here goes. On October 26th, GSR Ventures released a survey of healthcare technology venture capital firms. 62% of the firms said that generative AI is changing their investment strategy somewhat or significantly. Also on October 26th, a health IT consulting firm called Stoltenberg Consulting released a survey of healthcare CIOs. They said AI and machine learning are the biggest topics in health IT today, cited by 32% of the respondents. On October 30th, the Biden administration issued an executive order on the safe, secure, and trustworthy development and use of artificial intelligence. The executive order includes a lengthy section on healthcare AI. Also on October 30th, Medscape released a survey of physicians. 65% of doctors said they are very or somewhat concerned about AI driving diagnosis or treatment decisions. On October 31st, Halloween, Olive AI, the once high-flying healthcare AI company, said it was shutting down operations. And on November 10th, a healthcare IT consulting firm called Healthcare IT Leaders released the results of a survey of CIOs and other health IT executives. 64% said their organizations are planning one to three AI projects within the next two years. On November 16th, the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions released the results of a survey of more than 2,000 U.S. adults. 53% said they believe generative AI could improve access to health care, and 46% said it had the potential to make medical care more affordable. On November 17th, OpenAI, the company that created ChatGPT and released it just one year ago, fired co-founder and CEO Sam Altman. Then, two days later, on November 19th, Microsoft said it hired Altman to lead a, quote, new advanced AI research team, close quote. 
And I'm sure I missed a few other big healthcare AI stories along the way. Dave, I'm going to ask you specifically about the executive order. Why is that important? And collectively, what does all this healthcare AI news mean for the industry and for consumers moving forward? Better late than never on the executive order, but let's discuss that in a minute. First, I'm marveling at the speed with which generative AI is integrating into society and the broader economy. There's a well-established doctrine in economics termed the productivity paradox, where the introduction of new technologies actually lowers productivity near term as individuals and businesses adapt to using the new technology, whatever it might be. This was very true with personal computers. They came into the marketplace in the mid-1980s, but took over a decade to boost national productivity. I know this firsthand. I started working for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey in 1984, right out of graduate school. They actually bought me the first ever compact portable computer at a cost in today's dollars of over $12,000. It weighed 30 pounds had a small screen and very little memory. I carried that thing around all over New York and loved it. But people inside the agency used to look at me like I was some kind of wizard because I built a massive spreadsheet called the motherhood model to analyze the agency's entire transportation network. That included airports, bridges, tunnels, and the past subway. The rest of the agency had no idea what I was doing. Uh, It was great for me, but they took a long time to get on board. Around that time, 1987, economist Robert Solo observed that you can see the computer age everywhere, but in the productivity statistics. But that just doesn't seem to be the case for generative AI. It's come into the mainstream very quickly and is already in the process of redefining work and raising productivity. I saw a recent prediction into the 5 to 7% annual range. And I do think we're going to look back at this decade as the time when human-machine collaboration really came of age. This, of course, has huge implications for healthcare, which has traditionally lagged other industries in technology adaptation. And even when it does implement technologies, uses it primarily to advance revenue generation, not to lower costs and not to improve outcomes. But let's get back to the executive order. The Biden administration is playing catch up as it tries to balance AI's many risks and its many rewards. Administration's goals are laudable and necessary. Control bad actors to minimize harm and unsafe practices. Develop standards for applying AI tools more efficiently in the marketplace. Accelerating innovation and reducing discrimination. Given the speed and adoption Of the new AI tools, though, it's going to be hard for the Biden administration to get the regulatory formula right, not too loose so bad behavior prevails and not too hot so innovation falters. My guess is they're going to be too loose just because they're playing catch up. Already, a stat report found that MA plans are using AI to deny claims at an accelerating level. Health systems are going bonkers about this, already beset by high labor costs. They're sounding the alarm and setting the stage for what will undoubtedly be another massive shootout at Gucci Gulch as the lobbyists face off against one another. I do wish the Biden administration well, 
But my sense is that the marketplace, more than the regulators, will be the arbiter of how AI shapes the healthcare economy. Long term, I'm optimistic that generative AI will transform U.S. healthcare for the better. Shorter term, it's going to be messy. I just have an image of you walking around New York with a huge backpack <laughs> and no one knowing what's inside of it. I'm surprised you didn't get arrested. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> it didn't even have a shoulder strap. I had to carry it with a handle. <laughs> that thing that, that it killed almost a few people on the subway. But I loved it, man. I felt like I was at the edge of uh, you know creativity. And honest to God, Dave, I, I got it because I could do a spreadsheet on Lotus 123. I got into all kinds of things that I shouldn't have been, given how young and inexperienced I was. But uh, it was fun. Uh, you're, you're an early adapter. Great job, Dave. Yeah. Really, any questions for Dave? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know where to start, honestly. <laughs> so great. <laughs> if, you know, Biden's executive order calls for all federal agencies to create a chief AI officer position and directs the agencies to guard against bias. <laughs> So as someone who invests in the private markets, I'm stumped about what this is going to do to you know the pace of market innovation. What do you think of each agency having their own AI officer? Is that efficient and necessary to help ensure the government appropriately leverages AI? Or is it creating potential for misalignment across agencies and just like another notch in bureaucracy? <laughs> yes and yes. I actually, on balance, Julie, like the idea of to me, it's the equivalent of having an office of the inspector general in each agency. These, you know, healthcare, transportation, commerce, down the line, agriculture, these are massive ecosystems, really complex. AI is broadly going to come into each of them in a big way. And I, I have a hard time believing a centralized agency could have enough domain expertise to operate effectively in those individual spheres. So I, I think on balance, it's a, it's a good idea, just like it's a good idea to have an office of the OIG in each agency. Now, having said that, is there potential for conflict, overlapping jurisdiction, duplication? Absolutely. We should probably expect that. But on balance, I put my policy hat on. I think the benefits outweigh the costs. Yeah, just have them have lunch together once a month, right? Ah, that's yeah. right. Coordinate on occasion. <laughs> right? Yeah. Over yeah. lunch. It would work. Thanks, Dave. Brown bag. Yeah. <laughs> it is the government, <laughs> right? Yeah. Pat luck. <laughs> <laughs> Julie, I'm going to ask you specifically about the collapse of Olive AI in the GSR Venture Survey results. What do they tell you about future investment in healthcare AI companies and the adoption of those solutions by legacy healthcare companies like health systems? Well. Let me take GSR first and all of and just innovators in general second. You know, I think the GSR venture survey is quite telling, actually. You know, they said that they expected the generative AI innovations to impact the digital health investment community in an outsized way. And their poll results, I think, do confirm that. They noted that the most potential is thought to be in health data and analytics, not shockingly, and tech-enabled services. And they highlighted, you know, oncology and cardiology specifically, although Obviously, I think those of us on the inside can see much greater benefit. When it comes to collapse of all of, listen, startups are hard, and especially when you're making a market and you're having money thrown at you in what was, a, you know, a major bubble to start new businesses. 
you know, perhaps too early. And when it comes to where we are in the innovation curve, I mean, we're definitely in a gen AI bubble. I know a friend's technology VC firm, so not healthcare, well, I'll say this four or five months ago, tracking 400 plus AI companies globally with more popping up each week. I bet they're probably up to a thousand by now. And, you know, more than 30 plus gen AI unicorns already funded. And the reality is that most of these will disappear, just like internet companies created the beginning of this century. You know, this is a normal part of the process when these explosions happen and technology platforms shift. And these companies, you know, those that die, they can play a huge role in helping the companies that eventually succeed. Like, do you remember companies like AltaVista or Excite.com? Remember Excite.com? Or Ink to Me or Ask Jeeves. Do you remember Ask Jeeves? Like yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. I remember the logo. Yeah, I mean, so when you think about these, that's like a graveyard of search engine companies, right? But that allowed Google and others to really learn and find better ways and to actually develop massive, massive businesses. So, you know, the bottom line is that some companies will be able to use AI to disrupt an existing or create a new market, certainly as a business. But all companies are going to have to use Gen AI to transform their business operations. And, you know, we're mostly freaking out over this because they're redefining core white collar roles, right? And, you know, they're starting with use cases like things that we're all familiar with, marketing and customer service. So Gen AI plays a role in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, we're definitely in a peak part of the curve. It will never be able to recreate this podcast. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, that's true. Right. That's great. Thanks, Julie. I'm going to ask you about one of the reports that Dave listed uh, regarding physicians for the implications of it. How should we think about altering our approach to training medical professionals? And what are the implications for the future practice of medicine when it's really humans and machines working together to do this important work? You know, I'm reminded of a stat that I'm never going to be able to pull out of my brain, but the percentage of medical school students who prior to applying to medical school had worked as or taken you know some courses to learn epic implementation oh. so when you think about i mean the stat wasn't like you know over 50% by any means but there was a meaningful percentage of students that had gone that route so when you think about that their instinct to actually do that there's a whole host of entry capabilities that medical schools could, first of all, look for, right? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, certainly. So I think some of the more forward-leaning and, frankly, newer medical schools, Dell, Kaiser Permanente, mm-hmm. they already have a pretty strong technology curriculum as part of their medical training. So this, you know, Gen AI is going to be ha- going to have to be something that's really about both not just understanding the technology and how it works and the importance of the data cleanliness that goes into it or that it relies on, but also how to make decisions and how to work as a team and how to think about mm-hmm. scenario-based planning based on what you're getting back in these ways. And frankly, how to use the gen AI portion, not just the AI portion to communicate in ways that you know create a better experience. There's so much about bedside manner that could come into these curriculums as well. Yeah. You do a whole podcast on that, I bet. Yeah, you don't need to know as much that the knee bone is connected to the shin bone, right? And hopefully this allows not only the better decision-making you were describing, but I really liked your emphasis on better team building and communication. 
I would hope we get people into medical school that maybe aren't quite as technically proficient as historically doctors have had to be, but much better at intuition, empathy, connecting with patients, communicating effectively, that type of thing. So doctors aren't as much automatons, but real partners in, in caregiving in a way that I don't think historically the profession has really been able to do in a broad way. Certainly individuals have been able to do it. Yeah. I'll say one more thing on that though. Like we're going to go through a massive period here where doctors still do need to be trained that the knee bone connects to the shin bone because you have to have enough critical thinking to question what options you're being given and how to think about them. So I think it's kind of uncharted territory. It's not as easy as like the AI can just do all the work without the doctor. Yeah, it's human and machine. Really, really interesting. Uh, all I can say is that healthcare AI has been a boon to the healthcare publishing business. <laughs> I'm following at least six new newsletters on the topic. So you know, it's keeping us journalists in business. So good for us. Nice work, Berta. There you go. Thanks, Julie. And thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about other big news. Uh, Julie, anything else happened that we should keep an eye on? You know, I'm realizing that we didn't connect this podcast the week that Amazon announced the Prime membership. So I just wanted to say, and Dave, you were part of this this week, so many conversations going on with people about what does it mean and will they get into value-based care and, you know, the real first foray into true traditional healthcare, da, da, da. I do think it's fascinating. And I think, frankly, if you just break it down to business concepts, it's the first real test of membership-based healthcare at serious scale. And I'm excited. We'll see what happens. Right. $99 a year for unlimited telehealth visits. I mean, I spend more on lunch when I'm out with you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave should be buying you lunch, Brennan. That's the first problem. <laughs> uh, that is, that's a good one. Dave, what other news caught your attention? Well, this hasn't hit the presses yet, but we had our board meetings last week for the HFMA, and we are officially launching the Healthy Futures Task Force, which I'm actually chairing. We're defining the problem we're trying to solve as a reverse tragedy of the commons. In economics, a tragedy of the commons occurs when individuals overuse an underpriced or free public good, like a grazing field or fishing areas. In healthcare, we've got a reverse of that where the public good is actually investment in health, primary care, prevention, chronic disease management, that type of thing. And the providers don't do it because when they invest in health, they lose volume and make the insurance companies rich. The insurance companies don't do it because when they invest in health, their premiums go up and they lose members to other insurance companies. So everybody acknowledges we need to do this. So it's under use of a public good, but they don't do it. So our focus is going to be how can we create longer term contracting mechanisms that enable both providers and payers to invest in health and benefit from those investments. It opens up entirely new opportunities for partnership, which is, I think, very exciting for the HFMA and for the industry broadly. Dave, you're turning around a big ship, but if anyone could do it, you can. So good luck. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Thanks, Dave. And thanks, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. And happy Thanksgiving to you both. Gobble, gobble. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. 
And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Happy Thanksgiving to all, and thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.